Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hello everyone and welcome to Comfort Films episode 17. Stand by me. 17? 17. Wow. One more than 16, one less than 18. Wow. Almost uh, legally able to buy smokes. <laughs> you needed to watch this picture, <laughs> you know? There were a lot of smokes in this movie. This is correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Stand By Me. I also film, what, four? And the Rob Reiner Roundup. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> the Rob Reiner Rain rages on. Yeah. And uh, another thrilling installment. And the Meathead Marathon. Yeah, I mean, it's a good thing that we are wrapping things up this we week. Mm -hmm. First of all, because we kind of saved the best for last in a way, but also because I've run out of R words to use to describe the Rob Reiner round roundup. The Rob Reiner regulatory range. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely going to have to get my dictionary out to continue. The um, Rob Reiner rectification. <laughs> The reunification of Rob Reiner. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but anyway. Uh, Stand By Me. So this is another film directed by Double R. Yes. Um, this time based on a Stephen King story, actually. A novella called The Body. Yes, that appeared in the novella collection Different Seasons, uh, which also had another very famous movie and very well-loved movie based on a Stephen King story, The Shawshank Redemption. Um, pretty amazing that both of those stories came out of one collection, honestly. Yeah. And actually both were produced by Castle Rock Films, which is Rob Reiner's company. Um, basically, that's also a Stephen King town that he invented. Mm -hmm. So the Rob Reiner-Stephen King connection runs deep. Um, and nowhere, probably, in my opinion, is it better expressed than in this film. Um, yes, for me, I think I like this better than Shawshank, even. Although, I haven't seen Shawshank in a really long time, so. I think I like this better than Shawshank because I like seeing this story with these kids. Because I can really relate to going out and playing and going on these journeys. Yeah. We had these woods behind my house, and we would spend hours, days, weeks out there. You know, we could never get enough. We had woods behind my house, and we had all of this wildlife. And then behind that, there was like this old foundation. And then there was like some wire that ran across the ground. We could never figure it out, but you would trip over it. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Behind that... We actually had an enormous sand pit. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. I mean, and when I tell you it's an enormous sand pit, that sand pit probably was about 25 feet deep. Um, and I would say uh, at the base, it was probably about, oh, maybe 30 foot circumference oh wow it was enormous that's pretty cool and next to that was a cornfield and that cornfield had so much history that you could actually find arrowheads that's really neat mm -hmm. I and mean, you didn't even have to walk 20 miles down the railroad track and no almost get run over by a train Oof. I, that, oh. 
that that scared me so much. Yeah, it is a, it's a scary part of the movie. So I guess quickly uh, I will say that we're doing today's episode a little bit differently than we usually do. Mm-hmm. Um, usually we watch the movie, we take a few days to percolate. Of course, we've seen these movies multiple times before. Yeah. Um, if not both of us having seen it multiple times, at least one of us. Uh, and this time, we've both seen this one a bunch of times. Yeah. But we haven't watched it in a while. I no. can't really say when the last time is that we watched this. Years. Um, years for me. Yeah, I think, well, it has to be for me, too. Because I think we would have watched it together before, too. But We probably would have. We probably yeah. would have, yeah. This time, we have just watched the movie. We just turned the TV off and came in the closet and started recording. Mm-hmm. Fresh thoughts, straight out of the hot brain. No notes. No notes. Nothing. Shooting from the hip. Yeah. This could be great. It could be horrible. Only you can judge. That's correct. (laughs) So, but we wanted to try something different. We wanted to just go for it this time and just, yeah, just go straight off the cuff, uh, which is not something I normally do. And honestly, you don't either, really, at this point. You're pretty plan-heavy as well. We both are, like, outliners and all this kind of stuff. But this time, we decided to rip it. So, before I do get into our discussion, I do want to synopsize quickly Mm. um, so we can kind of say what the movie is about. Um, If you haven't seen the movie and you're afraid of being spoiled, please go watch it before you continue on, um, because we are going to say the whole movie here um and we would prefer that you have seen it before we spoil it for you it's a classic yeah it's a really good one and it's really worth seeing fresh Mm -hmm. if you haven't even if you haven't seen it in a few years go back and check it out again because it's gonna hit you different every time it's just that good so our main character in this movie is gordy lachance uh and his three friends Vern Tessio, Teddy Duchamp, and Chris Chambers. So those are played by Will Wheaton as Gordy, Chris Chambers as River Phoenix, Teddy Duchamp is Corey Feldman, and Vern Tessio is Jerry O'Connell. So these four kids are kind of like close friends, best friends. Yeah. And it's the summer, the end of the summer, before they start junior high. So between 6th and 7th grade. And it's really like the last week, weekend kind of time before school starts. Like a last hurrah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that Vern kind of overhears from his older brother, who's in kind of this gang led by Kiefer Sutherland. The Cobras. (laughs) I forget that they're called that, so it was really funny. Um, but yeah, so Ace Merrill is the gang kind of leader, and that's Kiefer Sutherland. Um, but Vern's brother is Billy, which I believe is Casey Shamazko. I'm not sure how you say that, but we're going to go with that. Sorry, Casey. I give you a lot of credit. I, <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. I, I think I would, I was going to say I'd do better spelling it than saying it, but I think I would tank that pretty hard too. What is it? S I E. Z C <laughs> No. <laughs> it's Polish and yeah. it's spelled that way. Um yeah, he was also in Young Guns with Kiefer Sutherland later and was one of my favorite characters in that movie. So he's very good. Yeah. Um but yeah, he plays Billy and he and so Billy and his friend had just boosted a car, gone out to the woods, and they ended up finding 
this dead body of a kid who's been reported missing. Mm -hmm. And Vern overhears this, brings the news to his three best friends, and they decide that they're going to go pretend to be camping out, but actually go find this dead body and report it and become big heroes because they found out what happened to this kid who's been missing. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much what they do. They get their bedrolls. They go on a little adventure. It's about a 20-mile walk, which is pretty significant. That seems really significant at our age. Yeah, and it's going to be an overnight camp out in the dark mm. with no tent. They're just lying on the ground. Wow. I just think about the bugs. Yeah. First thing that comes to my brain. Gross. Um, and, yeah, that's that's pretty much what happens. They go through kind of all these different growing up type things um during this trip and it kind of almost turns into a coming of age thing where they leave as kids and they come back as adults somewhat well you know the old saying you're not a man until you've taken a leech off your balls <laughs> i did not know that saying yes but it could just be because i'm a woman and they didn't have that in like the seventh grade you know health class film strip for girls oh those film strips <laughs> you know i remember seeing the film strip <laughs> for the boys and the girls and um boy they uh really really i i think uh i don't know who they pulled to get their information <laughs> i remember uh two gentlemen speaking in the locker room to each other. Oh, Lord. And uh, the guy, you know, sidles up to his friend, and he's like, Hey, Bill, do you think my penis is big enough? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what? The parents laughed. All the parents were there, you know, because they were, you know, witnessing uh, the sex education that they were giving us. In grade school. Oh and God. then I remember uh, the ladies video. You know, it was uh, two women who were adversarial. And the line came, you're just mad because I got my period and you didn't. Oh, oh the yeah. humanity of that. I was just like, what are we doing? And, you know, even the teacher when it was over, because I would always kid around I went to the teacher and I'm like, "What's the deal with the video?" <laughs> and she was like, "Yeah, it was it was it pretty, was pretty awful. bad." Yeah. <laughs> well, we I don't even know what we had, but I bet that this doesn't isn't a thing anymore. Like I'm I doubt that there are film strips now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anything like that exists. I mean, I am glad. Maybe they send people like a YouTube video to watch with their family or something. I don't know. Well, it makes sense. And it would be a lot better. It would be a lot better. And then also when I was growing up, I remember uh, the physician giving this, this little booklet. Oh, I got the flyer as well. Yeah, no, this like was a, a booklet. Dude. Mine may have been like an actual hardcover book. Oh my God. Because if mine had to tell you about periods and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot. It was a lot of data that you had to be meeting when you were that age. It was a lot. And then it was like, <laughs> you know, I was in Catholic school, so masturbation was a sin. 
<laughs> and we all enjoyed that. Everybody really needs to know about yeah, it. We did need to know that at the time, and all of us abstained. All the guys were like, you know what, I'm not doing it, and uh, I, I'm not doing it for Jesus. We did not talk about any of that in school, at home, no sex discussion whatsoever. No sex, no sort. TV, kind of like yeah, Happy Hell Night. Happy Hell Night style. It was Mississippi, like... I don't know. I guess they thought Immaculate Conception. Everybody <laughs> had that. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> no wonder it has the highest rate of teen pregnancy in the nation. <laughs> cough, cough. <laughs> well, I hope that whatever they're doing now to tell people about sex is better than, like, the jokey nonsense that we got. Film strips. Yeah, these film strips, these super out-of-touch film strips that seem to be a lot more um, at home in, like, a, a Tim and Eric sketch. Or a riff tracks yeah. short. A riff track short, it would be perfect. Yeah, that would be that great. That would be perfect. Yeah. And yeah. sorry we blew out the mic laughing. I couldn't stop laughing about the... <laughs> Is my penis big enough? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Billy. Now I really, I really need to clip of that film. It's a great one. And if I had, you know, access to the clip, I would be so happy well, the to funny, show it to you. The funny thing is that these are probably the same video, you know, tapes or video strips on the projector that, like, our parents were watching. Like, they never updated this stuff. It was always oh. ancient. There were just so many old things that, that we watched that I think our parents might have had a piece of. Because yeah. I don't know about you, but we used to have in our auditorium in grade school, they would just say, oh, it's movie time. And they would actually have a film that was, you know, really old that they managed to get their hands on the film. Like, you know, we watched Old Yeller. We watched. Yeah. Um, why do they make kids watch Old Yeller? It's awful. I think that Old Yeller. Um, again, just turned into another comedy bit. Because I remember, you, you remember the old Yeller song? Old Yeller, come back Yeller. Then I forget what the real next line was. I do was. not remember, and I know. Well, what they were saying was, old Yeller, come back Yeller, get that 12-gauge shotgun from the shed. And then if you really wanted to spice it up, you would throw in, like, some barking or howling noises. Oh, my God. Yeah, so, I mean, it was just like a lot of dark comedy came no, from that. I was emotionally scarred. I lost many pets as a oh, child. So, that would have crushed me. Yeah, it was no good. It was very much no good. But anyway, back to Stand By Me. Mm, mm, okay. Rounding up the Reiner for one last time. The so, Reiner Ride. So, I, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to watch this movie again. Mm -hmm. um, I had read the book before I saw the movie. Yeah. I'm guessing you had not. No. Yeah. So, for me, this was more watching something and seeing how it had been adapted. Mm -hmm. Whereas for you, it was like encountering the story for the first time. And I think that's interesting. It's like an interesting difference between how we experienced this the first time. Well, the big draw for me was, of course, you know, I was a kid 
and kid actors, and that's very exciting. And we were really lucky growing up because we had so many movies with people our age growing up. Yeah. And, you know, Stand By Me, one of my favorite songs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, and it, this came out in 86, and... Mm-hmm. Again, we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. Like in the 80s, there was kind of this major 50s nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And this movie is set in 1959. So right before 1960, which actually is quite interesting as well. Because it's coming of age story, but it's also set in a very... It's set in a time where things were going from the 50s to the 60s. Yeah. Which was kind of a pretty big shift uh, in the national kind of way of life, I think. Yeah. You know, I mean, not instantly. Obviously, 1960 was a very different year than, like, 1969. But when you think about the 50s versus the 60s, you have a very distinctive difference between how you think about those decades. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think about the summer... And it's burning really hot. And this is like the last fire of the 50s. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because it's the last... And it's the last summer for these kids to be kids before, you know, they go into high school, junior high, high school, and have to think about, you know, growing up. And what, are, you know... And I think also at this time, and we can really see that in this movie, the kids aren't necessarily kids like we would think of kids now either mm-hmm. like these kids had some pretty harsh situations oh yeah going on in their lives all four of them really yeah um but it, particularly chris teddy and gordy mm-hmm. gordy's life had been fairly fine but he's just lost his brother to a car accident yep and his parents clearly favored his brother over him yeah and continue to, and it's like a wrong kid died kind of a situation, Um, which honestly becomes like a joke in other movies, like Walk Hard, literally those say the wrong kid died, Mm -hmm. Uh, but that's basically the mood here, which is really difficult. Then you have Chris, who is in an abusive home life, Yep. Um, and his older brother is part of this gang, his older brother's eyeball chambers, who's a complete jerk. Yeah. And then Teddy has been abused by his father, who has a lot of mental illness coming out of World War II. Well, and that's, I I mean, that's one of the first images that really sticks with you. At least, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but for me, is when they showed you Teddy, Corey Feldman, and they showed you his ear, and it was all burnt up. And it was because his father, you know, they said he had these fits of rage, puts put his ear down, you know, on the on the uh, stove stove and just melted it. Yeah. And it's it's disgusting it, it because it's just a regular, you know, kid, your average everyday kid. But he's deformed because of, of this violence. Now, here's something I want to bring up that just as we were talking kind of kicked into my head. So, yes, we're going from the 50s into the 60s. And when I think about the 60s, I think about Vietnam. And, you know, so you have a lot of young kids who were drafted and went to war. So I wonder if this story in some way is actually talking about that. Because it's like when they find this body 
right? It's like a, a, a loss of innocence. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, you know, a, a lot of these, these war stories where people want to go, they want to fight, they want to be in the thick of it. And then when they finally come face to face with the horrors of war and death, they wish they never saw it. Yeah, and I think you're 100% correct. I mean, so basically you've got these kids who are, what, like 12 in 1959? Uh-huh. So that means that in 1969, they're like 22, yep. like ripe age to be in Vietnam, um, even maybe almost on the old side. That's you know. crazy, but yeah, true. But yeah, true. It is true. And Stephen King, of course, writing this kind of grew up. Uh, he, that's his age. I think he was born in 1947. So uh, he would have been familiar with a lot of people who went to Vietnam. Um, and had to deal with that, and, and I'm sure that's a huge part of it, yep. because his generation really had to face that threat of the draft and this war that was very um, pointless. I mean, a lot of people really felt it was pointless, and so I think that that is such a facet of any literature mm -hmm. by people who grew up in that time, and if you read the book, it's definitely part of that okay. i think um i'd have to go back but i feel like it was and yeah i i read this book probably or this novella probably when i was around the same age as the kids in this wow you really got around with these books i yeah i did i mean I, I i'm writing a little bit about this for my blog post for this week so mm -hmm. i haven't really uh, I didn't want to get into it too much in this, but yeah, Stephen King, I started reading around age 12-ish, 11, 12, and from the first book that I read, I just wanted to read all of them, so I just kind of attacked it, and maybe uh, it took me a year or two, maybe I was even 13 or 14 by the time I hit this, mm -hmm. but it really... Uh, resonated with me because I did feel, you know, a kinship with these kids. And, you know, I kind of had a bit of a harder time growing up as well. Um, harder time than maybe some of my friends. And I know that it's different for different people, but it, it almost seems unbelievable. But when I was growing up, I didn't really know anyone else whose parents were divorced. And... Yeah. I think that, because my parents got divorced when I was like 11, mm -hmm. I think one other kid in my class had a divorced parents. Um, and so, and that's a lot, you know, that's like nothing. Because you think like 50% of people get divorced. Yeah. But in, in my town or wherever I was, that just didn't seem to be the case. And, you know, lots of uh, traumatic kind of stuff going on in my family and things like that, which... I felt was somewhat different. And also the kids in the story are poor, mm -hmm. you know, maybe not Gordy as much, but like Teddy and Chris are for sure not well off kids. Yeah. Um, and they, they know that things are going to change for them after the summer, because when they go into junior high, you know, Chris especially has this kind of pre knowledge that they're going to split up because, you know, they don't really fit together 
in yeah. a certain way. And even in this movie, the dad kind of says that to Gordy at the beginning. He's like, why don't you have good friends like your brother had? Um, and he kind of insults who Gordy is friends with because, you know, they're kind of better class of people. And he thinks that Gordy is kind of slumming by hanging out with these poor kids or kids whose families are seen as trouble and things like that. Because this is a small town and everyone knows everyone. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm been, I'll take a quick second just to tell a joke. And then I, I'm <laughs> with you, and I'm really with you, but this is one point I want to make. So Marshall Bell, okay, who plays Mr. Lachance, is the same actor that played Quado <laughs> in Total Recall. And all I kept thinking about when he was being stern with Gordy is that he was going to open up his shirt, <laughs> and Quado would come out and be, like, really caring and <laughs> just... Be a good guy. So, like, kind of a good cop, bad cop. So, Mr. Lachance, bad cop. Quado, good cop. I mean, I wish that had happened. It would have lightened things up a bit. Because, <laughs> I mean, whew, got a little heavy duty with well, old Mr. Lachance being a complete jerk. Oh, and look, that stuff, I mean, that's, I think probably that's one of the reasons why I went there. Because the tension in that household you could cut with a knife. So mm -hmm. my mind would spin around to other topics, such as the actress that played the mother. She is like the quintessential 80s mom. You know, she was Ren McCormick's mom in Footloose. She was uh, Mrs. Baines in Back to the Future. Oh, really? She was the mother in Gremlins. Wow, I didn't know any of that. Yes. So it's like... This massive, massive actress. But the the situation with Mr. Lachance and Gordy, woof. I mean, that's yeah. so harsh. And then you have this interesting point in the story where Chris Chambers, though he's the same age as Gordy, is a father figure to Gordy. Now that is something that really sticks with me. Yeah, and a, definitely an older brother figure, too, because mm -hmm. you had John Cusack playing the older brother who has passed away, and there's a couple of flashback scenes um, where he that he's in, and Denny is, like, one of these supernaturally awesome people. Yeah. Um, because even though he was, like, perfect in every way, like, he's the football star, and he's you know, popular and his dad, you know, really pushes him and all this kind of stuff because he's so great. He also was like a super great older brother to yep. Gordy. Um, it didn't go to his head, all of these, you know, accolades that he got from people. He was still like this great down to earth, good guy. And Gordy is a victim here of both his parents' neglect and also of his loss of his brother. Yep. Who he loved and who he, you know, really got along with and cared about. So it's it's really heavy stuff for what's kind of a kid's movie in a certain kind of way. Well, that's the weird part, right? Because I saw this when I was young. And somehow this is one of these movies where kids were allowed to see this. 
And I, I never understood that. But it, the, the logic behind it was there was just some swearing. It's some, you know, good old-fashioned fun. <laughs> and, you know, in a way, I, I, I get it. In another way, I'm like, hmm. Because what I thought was so wild is that right from the beginning of this movie, these little kids are just smoking butts. Yeah, they're smoking. They're cussing. Yeah. And I mean, again, everybody cusses, but I, I got to be honest with you. I mean, I don't really know anybody that young that, that was that was smoking. Like, maybe you found a cigarette and you were trying to be cool and you coughed a lot. But these kids were just bona fide smokers. At, a, like, 12. Yeah. Yeah, I started smoking probably when I was 13, so... Oh, wow, okay. I mean, not regularly, sure. but, like, it was the first time I tried smoking was when I was, like, 13. I probably didn't really pick it up regularly until I was, like, 16 or 17. Um, But I think I knew kids who smoked when they were, like, 11 or 12. Wow. I, I mean, I the first time I smoked was sometime in uh grade school junior high like maybe it was sixth or seventh grade and what happened was <laughs> um we had an international fair in our auditorium and this was very exciting so to learn about all the countries of the world each student was assigned a country and so you made a station with all of the products of that country, and you wrote a report on the country, mm -hmm. and it was great. And one of the kids did Mexico, and he brought all these cigars. Mm. And the teachers didn't realize that they were real cigars <laughs> until, you know, a bunch of us had just grabbed them and were like, oh, wow, okay. Oh, my God. And I went into, like, the backyard, and I got home. I was like, oh, I'm oh a tough God. guy now. I bet you threw up. Oh, yeah. It yeah. was, oh, oh, yeah. It was it was harsh stuff. But, yeah, that was my first uh, smoking experience. <laughs> well, I right think there. I think when we were growing up, it was kind of like the last era of people pretty regularly smoking. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think smoking is kind of like an outlying thing now. I mean, people vape and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But in this, in the fifties, like everybody just smoked like all the time. It was, so, it was the thing. Kids being able to pick up cigarettes at home was like an easy thing i think well with going back to your point about you know the the loss and how these children can sometimes take on these bigger roles like you know denny could be like a father figure and, and the reason I, I mentioned denny specifically is i'm thinking about se hinton i'm thinking about the outsiders mm -hmm. i'm thinking about daryl I'm thinking about Patrick Swayze mm -hmm. and how he took on that father role. Yeah. And he was, you know, like the, the star athlete. Everybody loved him. He had a big future. And then he went and worked uh, a regular job. He worked, I think, for the phone company. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, something blue collar anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, you have in that situation, once again... Someone younger who's taking on the mantle of parent. So mm -hmm. it's a theme that, that we saw a lot. Yeah. And we saw a similar thing again. I'm thinking about S.E. Hinton in Rumblefish. 
Yeah, with the, the motorcycle boy. Correct. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that's maybe why I relate to this stuff, too. Like, I kind of, as I've said this before, like, that kind of was my role to some extent in t- at times because my sisters were a bit younger than me, but my mom had to work and we were alone all the time. Mm-hmm. So I kind of ended up being, you know, the grown-up uh, by default because I just was there. So, yeah, it was, it's interesting to watch these things. Um, and see that dramatized on screen in a certain way. Because I don't necessarily know that I would have related myself to the character of Chris mm-hmm. when I was younger. Yeah. But when I watch it now, I see how in many ways I could be a lot like Chris. Sure. Um, but it's interesting, too, though, because these characters are so well drawn mm-hmm. and so specific but it's so easy to relate to all four of them, like yeah. all four of the main, the principal kids. I mean, what kid do you find, do you see yourself in the most? I think probably, if I was looking at it objectively at that time, probably would be Vern. I think that probably would have been me. Um, you know, I, I've had moments where, you know, I felt more like a, a leader like Chris, I never really felt like Gordy. I never really, I never really had that. And I, I did not feel like Teddy. So, um, I really thought you were a Vern too. Uh, When we were watching this, this time, I just kept laughing and thinking about little John being like Vern (laughs) because he has the most enthusiasm and the most excitement like, he's so excited about everything that he's, like, practically tripping over himself 100% yeah. of the time. Um, and he's just, like, a sweet kid. And he's just, like, in the moment, like, in a really good way. Mm-hmm. And I just, I really like the character. I think Jerry O'Connell is freaking amazing. And he's also the youngest out of these four young actors. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't actually, I was saying this when we were watching it, like... Before, I feel that I didn't notice the age difference with them as much, but this time I definitely did. Like, River Phoenix is was born in 1970, and Jerry O'Connell was born in 1974. So, like, there's a pretty significant age difference there. Um, River Phoenix was 15 during this, whereas, mm. like, um, Jerry O'Connell maybe was, like, 12 11 or 12 or something okay so very different um i think between those two ages especially if you're like an immature 11 or 12 year old which i feel jerry o'connell kind of was and the Vern tessio kid comes off as much more immature compared to chris um so yeah i i relate to gordy a lot um, I think I was quite a lot like that when I was a kid. And the funny thing with this is it's all about like this friendship and, you know, the very ending, the writer is kind of writing, like you don't have friends like you had when you were 12. Yeah. And I had no friends really when I was 12. Oh, wow. I really didn't have, I was super loner. I had, ju- I had just changed schools. Mm. Things were very difficult for me. 
around that time um, as far as friendship. And I really didn't have any friends then. So I was alone a lot. And, you know, I'm not actually complaining about that because I actually don't mind being alone um, even then. And I liked, you know, doing my own things and reading and things like that. But it's funny to me because it's all about like, this is like the prime years of having friends. And I was just kind of hanging out, reading books by myself. (laughs) That's hard. (laughs) But, you know, Gordy has like that kind of lonerness, even though he has these friends because Mm -hmm. of the loss of the brother. Yeah. So I kind of felt like, you know, and also I think he's a little bit quieter, a little bit more of a thoughtful kid. Um, He does have a really good sense of humor, but you kind of have to draw that out of him. And I was kind of a bit more like that when I was that age. Um, But at the same time, I was a lot more mature for my age, which makes me relate to Chris in a certain way. Um, Yeah, I don't know what your thought would be on who you see. Like, I see Vern in you a lot. I don't know who you see in me the most. It's funny. I I didn't think about this at all. So I, I, you're kind of like Ace Merrill. No, yeah. No, I, I, I guess... I like uh, to steal the Yankee scalps right off your head, her head and throw <laughs> it in the ditch. Yeah. Oh, uh, maggots, Michael. I like to uh, whip out my switchblade and threaten children <laughs> over the dead corpse of another child. I mean, that's that's just, you know, It's my way. Day. What do you want? Yeah, I'm not going to try to change you. <laughs> you are who you are, and I'm, I'm proud to be with you. I would say probably I would go with Chris Chambers for you, if I if I had to think about it. None of the four really stand out to me as you. So I'm trying to think about what, you know, for me, like, what do I think about when I think about you? I think about a caring person who has a lot of intelligence and seems wiser than their years. So that would be Chris Chambers. That That's who I'd think about. I don't think about, you know, people uh, thinking that you have, like, a, a bad reputation and you're stealing milk money and, <laughs> you know, you have a gun. And, you know, I don't think about any of that stuff. Well, but the the exciting thing is I did have guns in my house. Oh, yeah? Of course. I lived in Mississippi, dude. I had to take Hunter's education in sixth grade. Yeah, but you weren't, like, going out to meet your friends on the weekend packing heat. I mean, I could have. But you didn't. Who knows? You would know. I mean, I brought a knife with me everywhere. Everybody had a knife back then. I had a pocket knife I always had with me. Yeah. And, you know, because I always like to whittle. You know, that's Mm. like my deep secret. I really enjoyed (laughs) whittling, um, and it was really fun for me. And so I always had a a pocket knife with me. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have had a gun because I just don't like guns. Exactly. I grew up around guns, so it wasn't like that big of a deal necessarily. Um, yeah, I mean, I was always kind of like the parental friend. Sure. Um, so yeah, and I was always like the trying to do what's right and trying to take care of everyone and trying to make sure, you know, everybody felt okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I see that in a way that I probably never would have thought I was like, uh, but I'm very, you know, it's funny because I see myself a lot differently than other people see me. Mm-hmm. And also I'm very, I think I tend to be fairly balanced kind of a person. So it's yeah. almost like 
anytime I see like a group of people portrayed in a movie or a book, I can see a little bit of me in all of them. Mm-hmm. And when I even write stories where I have like two or three main characters, I kind of split myself up among the three yeah. <laughs> rather than having one representative. Um, and it's funny when I talk about reading this book and, and watching this movie, when I was just starting to write, you know, um, I mean, I wrote little stories and things when I was little and really young, but then when I started really thinking I'm going to be a writer and started writing things, yeah, one of the first stories I really remember writing is almost like a full ripoff of this story. Look, I mean, there are elements of this story that I'm like, oh, wow, these really stuck with me. And I didn't even realize it. And this is just from me viewing the movie. And one thing, I mean, you know, I, I guess we're not alone in that because Kiefer Sutherland's look in this is very similar to The Lost Boys, yeah, which came out the following year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what he was playing at the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, I've seen a movie that you made in college where you oh, yeah. had a character who is very visually similar yeah. and speaks similarly to this Ace Merrill character. So I, never I see realized that it. influence. But I think especially when you're writing, mm-hmm. people who start writing just start writing by kind of almost copying Oh yeah, for um, sure. what, what they like to read. Mm-hmm. And Stephen King was like, exactly what I wanted to read. Um, that's all I was reading. And so when I started writing, a lot of my early efforts were very much just like, take like exactly what Stephen King did, change it up 1%, and now you have a new story that you <laughs> wrote. So it's really funny when I like think back on those initial writing efforts that I had. But when I think about Kiefer Sutherland, I mean, we talked about him in The Lost Boys. Kiefer Sutherland is an excellent villain. Yeah. Excellent. And I find him terrifying. And in this, I think I find him even more frightening because he's an actual human being. He's flesh and blood. He doesn't have the fangs and, as you referred to it in The Lost Boys, the fugly forehead to scare you. (laughs) He's just scaring you with his presence. Well, and he's terrifying, frankly, in this. Yeah. And not just to the kids, but to his own friends. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's a scene where they're, like, playing chicken with, you know, in the cars. They're, like, driving next to each other. And this truck is coming head on at him. Mm. And the two guys that are in the car with him are pissing their britches. Yeah. Because they're about to die. And he doesn't flinch. No. He, the, the most nerves that he has is that he's switching his toothpick from one side of his mouth to another. And he ends up running the truck off the road rather than swerve and lose the game. Completely crazy. He's totally chaotic. Totally just a bad person to the core. He has no limit to his terribleness. Yeah. And Kiefer Sutherland plays that like perfectly. Yeah. He's amazing in this. And yeah. I mean, he says... There's another part that he says that I don't think I really had noticed this before, but he's talking to the gang Mm -hmm. and Billy and the other guy who I can't remember the name of right now, the ones who found Ray Ray Brower, which is the dead kid. Yeah. 
they had agreed that they weren't going to tell anybody about this. They don't want to get in trouble because mm-hmm. they found the kid when they had stolen a car. Yep. They boosted it. Yeah, they boosted a car. They boosted so it. So they don't want to tell anybody. And the other one that's not Billy keeps almost saying it to the group. And he's like, oh, I'll bet you $1,000 that they're going to find this kid. And then Eyeball is like, oh, I'll bet you $2,000 you're not going to. And just completely cold with no emotion whatsoever, Ace, which is Kiefer Sutherland, basically says, if either one of you guys had $2,000, I'd kill you both. Yeah. Stone cold. Totally. Stone cold, and he would have done it. Yeah, he would have been like, right there. now I have $2,000, and you guys are dead. Like, he wouldn't have thought about it. He would have just done it. That would have, if there were memes back then, they would have had Kiefer <laughs> Sutherland. Just now I have $2,000. That would, <laughs> it would be have just it. been him with like the sunglasses coming down yeah. and, his, and just like dollar signs. So yeah. let's ask some questions here. Okay. So I'm not a cop, so you're safe. Did you ever boost a car? <laughs> Did I ever boost a car? Yes. No, not like stealing a car, no. I never boosted a car either. Okay, check. Next, have you ever played chicken or been in the car... When someone else was playing chicken. No. Me neither. Thank God. And boy, howdy. I do not feel like I missed out. I did drive down the road at a very unsafe rate of speed. Yeah. Um, At least one time. My mom had a Lincoln Town car. It was about the size of seven boats (laughs) placed end to end. Um, And one time I was driving a bunch of people in said giant car. Mm Mm-hmm. And we just decided, we were on a back road, and we decided to see how fast I could make the car go. And we made it up to like 120 or something, which is as high as the gauge went on a straightaway. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a fairly safe situation, so I don't feel like, you know, I was playing it too loose. Although I certainly was. I mean, we could have been in, in trouble if a deer had run out in front of me, then I wouldn't be here today, probably. And I would have taken, like, eight kids with me. So, thankfully, that didn't happen. Thankfully, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there have been some really scary car moments. Yeah. When I was younger, my friends uh, used to race around, um, just kind of racing each other. And I didn't have a license at this point. So, this wasn't anything I got involved with firsthand, but... I was a passenger and um, there was a a situation where there was a Mustang racing a K car. Okay. So yeah. Right. It's just madness. Anyway. Kind of a match up is that. (laughs) It was a supercharged K car, man. It was supercharged. No. So anyway, we were just going through these kind of back roads and we were flying. Okay. We were going really fast and we came around this really tight corner, and there was this enormous tree. And the brakes were slammed on, and we stopped about six inches short of that tree. Yes. After that incident, when, when I was in high school and I saw that, I no longer was interested in anyone racing anything. That just kind of... That put the kibosh on that for me, Sometimes things like that happen for just that reason. Oh, yeah. So that you stop, you know, taking chances after that, and it keeps you out of trouble. Well, and I also have to say, 
I have never been camping. I know you have been camping. I've yeah. never been camping. I, I said once when I was in high school that I was going camping. And, uh, you know, we weren't going to look for a body. But I was with uh, three of my other friends. And we lived in Massachusetts. And we packed up my friend's camping gear, you know, just to sell the illusion. And we went down to Hampton Beach and New Hampshire. And so we went down there. And, you know, again, I love it because all of us were nerds, right? We didn't do anything crazy. We also brought some instruments <laughs> and we just went down by the beach and we just played music and we sang and well, like, oh, it was super fun. And then like, there's that wall on uh, Hampton Beach, you know, right on the beach. And we got up and we were walking on the top of the wall late at night and we just kept singing Mr. Sandman <laughs> and we thought this was really funny because there were a bunch of people like kind of hanging out on the beach like and so we thought we were pretty cool that's funny you know and like we we're like okay what do we do and we're like where are we gonna stay and we were like I don't know so then we were like okay let's drive back and it was some crazy hour of the early morning and we decided to drive back to uh, one of the, the guys' house, mm. you know, parents' house. And um, that was a horrifying ride. Once again, I wasn't driving, but the problem is everyone was so tired in the car that they kept falling asleep. Oh, God. This also included the driver. No, no, no. Yes. I mean, it was, it was bad news, Time man. Time to pull over. Oh, look, I'm a talker. And if I ever see somebody even getting close to shutting an eye, yeah. I don't stop. I'm like rapid fire. I'm like, hey, man, how you doing? What's your favorite song? What's your favorite car? Where do you like to go? Huh? Huh? Do you like my shirt? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the first time you ever said the Declaration of Independence. Do you like that? Where'd you go to grade school? Like, I'm <laughs> on it. Going. Yeah, I am not going to let you uh, take us down. But my experience with that was you know your big camping trip that was my big camping trip yeah i mean i just went camping with my family and i went to camp like a camp for mm -hmm. kids um a couple of times and one of those times we did like an overnight woods camp out mm -hmm. where i did sleep on the ground and it was horrific and i just would never do it again i was cold Oof. It was, Cold. like, Oof. damp. Oof. I woke up, and it was the first time I really had, like, a sinus problem. Oh, man. So I attribute that fully to this stupid camping thing. I mean, we also had to, like, wade through water. I mean, it was kind of like a lot of the things that happened in this. Mm. No leeches, thank goodness. No leeches ever for me either, thank but, God. But uh, there actually was, like, a dead animal, like a dead dog in a mm. garbage bag oh. in the creek that we were fording across. You didn't, like, drink water out of it, did you? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. But, yeah, so it was pretty messed up, though. It was pretty gross. Well, let's get some more checks on the board here. Did you ever play mailbox baseball? I did not. I did steal flags off mailboxes. Okay. Um, so, you know, vandalizing mailboxes, yes. Mm -hmm. Vandalizing mailboxes specifically by using a baseball bat out of a car, no. I did steal mailbox flags, and um, the thing that we used to do while driving was when we were in the school bus, we would throw glass bottles to try to hit street signs. Mm-hmm. 
while we were driving. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I, I, I never did that. I never played mailbox baseball. Um, there was this period of time where uh, my friend group and I were really interested in stop signs. I had a stop sign. Yeah, my stepbrother stole it for me. I didn't ask oh. him to. We were just driving, and he was like, he just stops the car, jumps out, like, pulls the stop sign down <laughs> off of a, a, a pole. Yeah. And, like, gives it to me, and is like, here you go. I'm like, I, I don't want this, <laughs> but now I have it, so I had a stop sign at one point. Well, that was the thing. I, I had a friend that got me a stop sign. I didn't actually get it off myself so it was like this this huge thing like they're i never realized very large they're so large and yeah. i didn't know what to do with it and i was like you know because me i'm like a panic kid i'm like oh my god i'm going to jail why do i have a stop <laughs> sign why did i do this my future's done <laughs> so anyway i take this enormous stop sign up into the attic and i like throw it in the back of the attic and I completely forget about it. Like, many years later, I'm like, wait, didn't I take a stop sign when I was in, in high school? And I'm like, no. Yeah, I'm like, it was up there. Yeah, well, yeah. And when we finally cleared out my mother's house, uh, years later, when she was moving to Florida, I we found uh, the stop sign. So it, it did, in fact, happen. It was not a fever dream. Yeah. And, okay, did you ever have uh, older kids bully you kind of like in this how you have you know the younger kids and then you have the older kids the cobras led by ace merrill no i did have some bullying happen but it was peer group bully. it was like same age as me like at the same time that i'm talking about where i moved to this new school um very insular school i've actually written about this on a blog post before um about what it was like when I first started going to that school, it was really difficult because all these kids already knew each other. And I was like this weird new kid from, you know, far away. Yeah. Um, not that far, but in Mississippi, it seemed far because it was more than like two miles. So, yeah, I, that was difficult. But I, I wouldn't think, I don't really remember ever having an issue with older kids, mm -hmm. um, specifically like it is in this. And I wasn't... Um, I didn't have any older siblings. So, like, that was part of it with the kids in this. Yeah. Like, because Chris and Vern, two of their their older brothers, are in this, like, Ace Merrill Cobra's gang. Yep. Um, so, they're kind of used to getting picked on by these older brothers mm -hmm. and the older brother's friends. But I was the oldest. So, I didn't have that. Well, I have a memory that was Halloween- and I was out with my friends. We were trick-or-treating. We were just being normal. And we were walking down this, this road that looked like, you know, it looked like a horror movie. I mean, it's Massachusetts. It's fall. What, what do you want? But, you know, <laughs> you see the trees. You know, you hear the wind blowing. It's kind of a dark road that we're on. This one part of the road didn't have any houses. And there's this car flying down the road. Oh. And we kind of, you know, we jump off to the side. And what happens is this car slams on its brakes, comes to a halt. 
and the doors open up, and it's these high school kids. We're grade school at this time, and they are huge. We're talking football players. And I, I'm pretty sure they were, were drunk, but at the time, I mean, I'm like a naive kid. I, I don't know anything. They're like, who was throwing eggs at our car? And we're like, what, we didn't we didn't throw any eggs at your car. We didn't throw any eggs at your car. I'm like, who threw the eggs at the car? And they come at us like they're going to, you know, take us down. So I'm running down this road. You know, we're all running. And uh, at this time, to make this even more scary, I had a really bad compound fracture in my left arm. And it was mostly healed at this point. I'm, I went through a series of casts. And, you know, I had one that went basically the whole way up my arm. And at this point, I was just with one that was on my forearm. And um, I was running. And this enormous football player just clotheslined me, just took me down. And I hit hard on that mm. pavement, man. And I was like, oh, man. And I was terrified that my arm had yeah, broken again, broken. Oh. which, thank God, it didn't. And then they just kind of intimidated us some more. They laughed and, and drove away. Yeah, I mean, I ended up hanging out with older kids to some extent. Because um, my stepbrother, who my, my mom married his dad when I was like 14. He was probably like 16 or 17. And we had already known each other from church, he and I. So we yeah. had hung out together and played video games and done stuff. And then I was friends with some other kids who were a bit older um, through him or just through school. And then my my best friend later in high school had an older brother and we did stuff with him and hung out with him. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't really have that experience so much. And also it probably is by virtue of the fact that we just didn't have that many people around. I mean, in this movie, they say that there's like... 1200 people or something in the town mm -hmm. which is actually double the size of the town i grew up in oh wow okay. so just not a lot of kids generally um in that place and kind of everybody knew everybody okay so i think you know their parents would have tanned their hides if they were bullying us like that yeah all right what else well what one else of the other got? things i'd say is with, with stephen king Anything I've read with him, music plays a very big part in it. He'll talk about the songs, and it's integral to the story. Yeah. You know, you'll see that. And in this, you know, the soundtrack was fantastic. You know, this was music from an older time that I loved. Mm -hmm. I, I was a really big fan of the Del Shannon song, Runaway. It was used as the theme song for a short-lived television series called Crime Story, starring Dennis Farina. And so I always wanted to hear the song Runaway. And it's not like now where you have Spotify. We didn't have the record. I mean, I was a young kid. I wasn't going to go find this, you know. And so what I would do is I would listen to the oldies channel on the radio nonstop, waiting for Runaway to come on. <laughs> and when it finally did, I was thrilled. Like, you have never seen a kid so happy in your life. But along the way, I picked up all this older music and it became a part of me. So even though I'm not from this generation, the, the music really does resonate with me. And it gives me this feeling of nostalgia. 
And I feel that the relationships between the friends are actually very relatable. You know, like in, in my, you know, uh, neighborhood, there was a bunch of us that lived on the same street. There were a lot of kids, you know, in my neighborhood that were the same age. And we would all hang out together. And we all did have, you know, this distinct personality. And a, as we talked about, I was Vern. So that <laughs> was there. But what I want to talk about with the music is I've never read the novella. Does the music play as large of a part in the novella? This is a good question. I I am 99% sure that they do say that, like, Vern, I believe, had this transistor radio. So, okay. like, they were listening to music, and that was kind of what was happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. That while they were walking through the woods trying to get to where they were going, they were listening to the radio um, as they would go. And I think the radio always plays, like, a big part in Stephen King. I think you're 100% right. He is always referring to specific music. Yeah. Um, and even in at the beginning of his books, he often is putting in music, like, lyrics from a song or something like that that's germane to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't remember if it refers. I haven't read this book, this novella in probably, oh, my... 20 plus years oh wow i'm guessing it's been a really long time i kind of want to pick it up again yeah i mean we've got Um, it we do have it Mm -hmm. so and i recommend it very strongly i recommend actually all four of the novellas in that collection different seasons they're all great different but great um actually shawshank and the body which is what the stand by me when it's called as you said are both um, they both have kind of a different feel to them. Okay. But uh, it's a good kind of, it's kind of the stuff we're junkies for, the hope, hopefulness yes. kind of feeling. And in this, actually, I do want to say, like, this is actually a lot sadder than a lot of the movies that we generally do. I agree. At the end, you know, when he's saying that he misses these friends that he had when he was 12 and basically he's never going to have them again. And then his best friend, Chris, you know, who got away from this horrible situation. He rose out of his poverty, Mm, out of, you know, the bad situation. And he became a lawyer. And and you know this from the beginning of the movie, actually. So the very first, we didn't kind of go into the frame story element of this at all. No. um, Yet. But it's important to talk about because this is also Richard Dreyfuss, who does a lot of the voiceover, Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny. It makes me think of the Wonder Years again, which we had kind of talked about the Wonder Years a little bit before. Yeah. Um, And maybe we, I think we cut that out of the episode. Oh, did we? Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure that we, that you guys have heard us talk about the Wonder Years, but we were talking about the Wonder Years in reference to something else recently and talking about how it had that voiceover um, uh, and, you know, it's telling the story about this younger kid from the perspective of him when he's grown up. And that's what this is too. So you have Richard Dreyfuss playing the writer, mm-hmm. and he's he's the grown-up Gordy, and he's talking about this happening because he's just read this newspaper article about a lawyer named Chris Chambers who's been killed um, in a knife accident 
um, or some, somebody attacked him with a knife, I guess. No, that what happened is he was in a fast food restaurant, and there were people in front of them that got, there were two guys in front of them that got into a fight, and one of them had a knife. Oh, yeah, okay. And he went to break it up, and he got stabbed in the neck. Yes. And they said he died almost instantly. So he died trying to keep the peace and be a good person which was the exact opposite of what everyone said about him when he was growing up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that. He is he's he's died. So you know this about Chris before you actually see River Phoenix playing Chris as yeah. this child. And, you know, through the story you get to know who this person is sure and then i think at the end you probably like remember oh wait yeah this guy died <laughs> and, and richard dreyfus talks about it again and it's difficult it's really sad and there's sad parts in the in, in the story for the kids too like when they finally find the body of mm -hmm. ray brower um you know they kind of almost had this idea that it was going to be this triumphant moment. That they've discovered this kid's body. They're going to be the big hero. Everybody's going to be so proud of them for, you know, finding out what happened to this kid. Yeah. But when they see the kid, it's not like that at all. You know, in fact, it's more like they're having to confront the fact that they're kids and they can die too. And it's heavy. And especially, it's heavy for Gordy, because he's already dealt with death with his brother, and he wasn't really able to process Denny's death. And when he sees Ray dead, who he didn't know, it kind of comes home for him that Denny died, and that Denny's gone. And it's such a heavy moment, it's huge. And I can't believe that this little kid, Will Wheaton, yeah. <laughs> like played that scene so well. And I guess we, you know, again, have to just give some credit here to Rob Reiner for working with these kid actors and drawing so much out of them. River Phoenix was so strong when he talked about the teacher that he confided in. Yes. When he said that he had, you know, he had stolen this milk money and he wanted to give it back. And so we went to his teacher to give it back and make it right. And she betrayed him. Yeah. And he still got in trouble. Money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and everybody, that, not only did he still get in trouble, but everyone, um, you know, just felt like this was exactly what he was always going to be yep. and, and what he was always going to do. And it's just him living up to the bad reputation of his family. And I mean, you had an experience like this, not exactly, not where you, like you stole something or whatever, but in a case, I remember you told me about this, that you were kind of getting really bullied um, and you went to someone uh, an authority figure, I believe it was a teacher, Yeah. to say to them, you know, this is happening to me. And they just told you to, like, suck it up, basically. Yeah, the actual words were, uh, get with it. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And it really is such a horrible thing when you're like this innocent kid. Mm -hmm. And okay, Chris Chambers is not super innocent. Like he probably was born jaded the way that his family is and stuff. But the same thing here is that he is a kid. And yeah. kids are going to make mistakes. Yeah. Kids are going to do things. Even the kindest kids will do something messed up. And they'll go, oh my God, why did I do that? I have no idea. And an adult should be better than yeah. that. And this is like such a huge disappointment the first time that you realize that not all adults are going to do what they should do. Yeah. It's like a huge blow. It's a lesson that you have to learn, but it is not an easy lesson. No. And it's, I mean, that was the hardest part of the movie to me, is that scene in particular. And yeah, I mean, that's truly the reason that I said that I, I felt that I related to Chris Chambers is because of that. Yeah. I've also had situations where I've counseled friends or I've been there for friends or you felt like you were a father figure to them just because they needed help, you know? And when you're out there, you know, when you're kids and, and you're out there on your own, a lot of the time, you need to look out for each other. And again, that was something that that's been reinforced in, in everything. Like we mentioned the outsiders, right? We saw that with Daryl and the way he treated pony boy. Yeah. And then we also saw that with the motorcycle boy. And the way he treated Rusty James. As a matter of fact, when the motorcycle boy went away, Rusty James didn't know what to do at all. Because he needed someone, you know, to be there for him. So it's, it's a, you know, it, it's a big deal. It, it's yeah. a big deal. And it also ties in to what we talked about with all these 80s movies where all, there were all of these absentee parents. Yeah. And we saw that in The Lost Boys, which once again had Corey Feldman. And I always think about Repo Man, which I know we haven't discussed yet, but that will definitely happen. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's this story is packed. I mean, the movie is only an hour and 28 minutes long. Which is crazy. It mm -hmm. doesn't feel like that. I mean, and we haven't even gone over like all the topics that we could go over. We didn't talk about... The blueberry pie eating contest. I was thinking scene. about that, and that scene is great for me, because you know I was always a big kid, and people gave me trouble for being a big kid, and the fact that he just went and puked <laughs> on all those rotten bastards. <laughs> ah, I love it's it. It's a great revenge story. It is. It's uh, really great. No matter really what great. Teddy says. <laughs> no, I mean I think it's I think it's great, and I I really I really liked it. Yeah, um, it's good. Well, I mean. It's Gordy's story, and it it's that sense of humor that I said, you know, the kid is kind of shy, and he doesn't show his whole hand all the time, but then he has these stories mm -hmm. that kind of give you a glimpse into who he really is. Yeah. And I think that's just really well done here. Um, and, you know, I'm sure, like, for Stephen King, that's sort of autobiographical to some extent, because I've read on writing, and I know that, you know, when he was a little kid, he was already writing stories, and, you know, really knew he wanted to be a writer from the time he was the same age as the kids in this, um, and there's a, there is an autobiographical element to the story, um, with him, you know, going to see this body, apparently, and, and having these three friends, and, that, you know, later on, actually, in real life, I believe the story is that all three of those friends 
passed away. Mm. And he was the only one who didn't die, oh. um, which is crazy. Yeah. But, you know, uh, and, and yeah, it's just, it's great. And we saw, we saw a clip actually of Rob Reiner um, before we saw the movie. Cause I looked it up cause just with our roundup rampage run of Rob <laughs> Reiner, I wanted to know what was his favorite movie that mm-hmm. he's done. And he actually says that stand by me is that movie for him. Not necessarily because he thinks it's his best, but just because it's the one that he, that makes him feel the best about what he was able to do. And it has like an autobiographical feel to him to some extent because the kids are around the same age at the same time um, that he would have been growing up. And yeah, I think that it, that's so clear um, to me that, you know, he could relate, Stephen King would, could relate to these characters because they do have such a realness to them. And the kids, the kid actors are so good. They're great. Well, here's another thing that I thought about. So, Jerry O'Connell, okay, as we know, is Vern. And Vern, with his excitement, is very much like Stephen First as Flounder in Animal House. (laughs) That same excitement, you know? Like, I always think about Animal House. Wow, this is great! You know, he's so happy. And and there's like a a similar line from Jerry O'Connell where they're all sitting around, you know, and they're talking about girls. And he's like, wow, this is a great time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's just really having a good time. I actually remember doing, saying or doing something like that when I was a little kid, too. We had some kind of a picnic day for school yeah. where they, you know, actually just took us to the park and we spent all day in the park and had a picnic lunch and just played on the playground and stuff. And I remember saying, like, I don't know, five times that day, <laughs> like, with with my friends sitting around going, it's so great that they let us out to do this today <laughs> and just oh, it's awesome. reflecting on it. Like I was, you know, I don't know, old or something. It was really funny. And a real Stephen King move since we're, we're happy here. I'm going to bring it back the other way. And this yes, is a definitely. question I thought about. So what he talks about, okay, is that, you know, he sees Chris, Gordy sees Chris and they remain friends. You know, for the most part, for the rest of their lives, even though there's like a 10 year gap, they say, you know, that he hadn't seen him. And that's at the time that Chris passes away with the other two friends with Teddy and with Vern. He said they just kind of faded away. And he talked about how friends just come in and out like busboys. And I, I thought about that. And I thought, well, if this story happened now, would Gordy have been on Facebook trying to connect with him? And I'm thinking he probably would have. But this is the weird part. Would that have been good? Or if you have this wonderful memory of your friend from a long time ago, and, you know, everybody changes, you know, when they get older, is it better? just to have this wonderful memory? It's a good question. And I think it probably depends on the person. It depends on the friend. Yeah. And what's changed about them over the years. I mean, I do think that, you know, we haven't gone to, well, you you might have, but I haven't gone to any of my class reunions or anything. 
<clears throat> I have kept in touch on social media with people I went to high school with and things, but it is different to just see what somebody's life turned out to be versus what you knew them as. And I'm not saying that it's always this negative thing, because sometimes it's not. No. Sometimes you see somebody who really blossomed. I can think of somebody in particular who kind of always seemed a little bit lost when we were growing up and didn't seem like he had much idea of what he wanted to do. And then he grew up and he became very successful in a very niche kind of a way. And from what I, I he's not on social media, but I understand he's very happy, you know, with what he does. And that's awesome. But, you know, there's other people who, you know, got married really early and kind of faded out, you know, and you don't really know what happened to them yeah. or, you know, people who became parents early and things like this that I couldn't really relate to because maybe I was going to school instead. And, you know, I'm probably to, if it wasn't for the fact that my mom still lives in the place where I went to to high school and she actually teaches at my old high school now um that's kind of the only link i really even have to that place anymore and if it wasn't for that i'd probably be the mysterious person that people are like well whatever happened to georgia because <laughs> <laughs> i'm not there so you know i went off and i've lived in massachusetts for 11 years and now i've lived in california for 11 years and you know i, I think that there's things like that that happen and you always do kind of wonder and now it's much easier to find out mm -hmm. than it ever was yeah before but yeah sometimes you don't want to know sometimes you wish you didn't know it's weird i mean i've found out much later that somebody i knew died um had been gone for years mm -hmm. and things like that it's difficult because then you have to try to process that now, when it's something that happened years ago, um, and it's difficult in that respect. So, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I, it's, I mean, this is a really big question that, that's posed in this. And I don't think we could fully understand the weight of it until we got older. And again, that just shows you how many amazing layers there are in this story. Oh, I, yeah. I love this thing. Well, okay. Here's something else. <laughs> okay. I'm shifting gears again. I'm bringing us back up. <laughs> Chopper, gonna... sick uh... balls. Oh, yeah. That story about this junkyard dog that is going to chew your scrot off. <laughs> and then it turns out it's this cute dog that you could just cuddle and give peanut butter to, you know, and uh, the line is, this is the first time um, that I found out, you know, what it's like when you come face to face with, with a legend. So like you're facing a tall tale, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and instead of it being this, you know, dreadful, terrifying dog, it's essentially, you know, a yeah. cute puppy. A half a Labrador type of a dog that's just nice. Yeah. Yeah. I the funny thing about that scene for me is that I remember watching this movie must have been on a network or something when I was in college with my best friend Melissa and it was edited for TV. I hated that lard butt. Get out of here. Get out <laughs> well, of here. In that scene with the dog, they didn't say chopper sick balls, which is kind of annoying because balls isn't even like that bad. I mean ass isn't even that bad. No, but they 
they they changed it to chopper sick kid get out of here and melissa got so mad she's just yelling at the tv like sick kid what does he have the flu i mean she was so (laughs) mad she hated it and it just made me laugh to death because she was so angry edited lines for sick kid what does he have the flu (laughs) she's gonna laugh because if she hears this because I don't even know if she remembers that, but we talked about that for a long time after because it was so funny. It's anyway. great. I mean, the way they would edit lines for television, I mean, that was a true yeah. art. I would love that job. I would, To come too. up with these alternate lines. I would. We would get awful. That would be really fun. You see what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps? <laughs> That's the big Lebowski. Yes. <laughs> How'd you get that scar? Eating pineapple? <laughs> Scarface. Yeah. Yeah, these are great. I mean, it's just nuts. That would be that would be the dream job. Get out of my house. Get out of my freshly vacuumed house. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, hmm. I don't know. I think that probably about wraps it up for me here. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sad to to close the book on this one and uh and on the Rob Reiner rigmarole. Roused about. <laughs> The Rob Reiner, Rockin' Robin, Ricochet, Rebellion. Yep. That's uh, that's <laughs> really it. I mean, but yeah. So I I kind of am sad to shut the book on the Rob Reiner stuff too because it's all been so phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and he does have other great movies that maybe just don't quite fit into our milieu here. Well, it's funny because. You know, as we talked about Stand By Me, my initial memory was it was a good time with some great actors, you know, that would make me think back to when I was a kid. And then when we went and we watched it this time, yes, you know, there was laughter, there were these good memories, but there was also this, ooh, I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry. No, I'm not going to cry, I'm not going to cry, I'm going to cry, no, I'm not going to cry. Oh, and no, I just cried. I was like, all right, I'm going to cry. Here we go, crying. I tried to do, like, um, some really good faces of, like, <laughs> pensivity, if that's a word, just to try to look like I was just really focusing. You steely, out. steely focus. Yeah, I was just like, I'm really, uh, I'm really focused in on the cinematography here. I wonder <laughs> what lens that is. No, I was, like, full crying, sadness. But, I mean, that's cool. Yeah. It was nostalgic, it was emotional, mm-hmm. and I'm like you, I, I generally only remember kind of the fun and funny parts, Yeah, but it is way more rounded of a film than I gave it credit for um, in a lot of ways. And, you know, this is what Rob Reiner does, like he captures re- the reality of the human experience pretty darn well. Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. <laughs> Gordy Lachance's last stand. Yeah, there. excellent. Like it just ah, oh, and it's just yeah, all of it. So I mean, good. It's, it's so, so good. good. It's a great movie. Um, oh, and this is one thing I do want to mention. I thought that when Teddy saw the body at the end, that might have made him possibly. I mean, maybe I'm just projecting a little bit less self-destructive because throughout the film he was courting death. He, in my opinion wanted to get hit by the train and die. Yes, he kind of did. And I think that part of that was just because um, he 
had this admiration for his father. Yes. Um, who was also self-destructive because of his PTSD mm-hmm. from World World War Two. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that, yeah, Teddy admired his father and wanted to imitate his father in a certain way, and that turned out to be the way um, was by courting death. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he changed or not. I don't either. Like I said, I think I'm projecting, you know, because it's just I I, I want good things for for well, these guys. Well, in the movie, when they t- say what happens to him later, they say that like he got in trouble with the law and mm-hmm. things like this. Um, you know, and I, I just don't know. I don't know. Uh, maybe he was a little bit better. I mean, he has kind of an emotional break. Um, because he has a situation where an adult is really awful to him, which is like the junkyard guy. Yeah, yeah. Really insults his father, like yeah. straight to his face. Yeah, and calls him a loony, says in the loony bin mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And it really, really bothers him. And it was interesting because Gordy's perception is that Teddy is way overly attached to his dad. Um, and I thought that was really one of my favorite lines actually was Gordy's voiceover saying that like it blew his mind basically that Teddy could care so much about this dad who had like disfigured him permanently Yeah, when he couldn't, you know, his, when Gordy's own dad couldn't give two shits about him or whatever. And, you know, it was just really interesting dad issues stuff um being kind of discussed in the movie and the friends you know stood up to the junkyard man they were there and that's something that we saw throughout the film is each one of those kids looked out for each other yeah and i i loved that you know it was all for one one for all that was that was the way in this story yeah man it was great yeah it's it's just a really really good movie about this really strong relationship between these kids and all the stuff that they go through and how they're kind of navigating this really difficult time of life as a team, you know? And finding, like, all the insecurities that they have, being able to speak them freely. And I think that was because they were young. And and when you get older, you don't necessarily you know, go out in a coffee break and start talking about these things with people. It, it's yeah. not as easy. I mean, that's flip. But, I mean, really talking about your your emotions in this way as clearly as these guys do with each other, I mean, that is a level of honesty that you don't really get to to maintain. I mean, it's, uh, it's something where I, I felt that their talks with each other and their relationship with each other though it might not have completely changed everything in their life, I think it helped, particularly in the, the case where Chris talks to Gordy, and Gordy says he's no good, and Chris is like, no, you're good. And the other thing that Gordy remembers is his uh, brother's uh, positive feelings about his writing. Yeah. And, and so yeah. you you have, you, you know, there, there was, yeah, there was that, I, I don't know, therapy. Well, and Gordy also puts Chris on a different path because yep. he says to him, 
that, you know, you don't have to take what you're dealt. You don't have to just go do shop classes yeah. because you're, you know, poor and people think you're stupid. You're not stupid. You can take the college classes. You know, you can take the the smart classes. You belong in the smart classes. And that kind of changes the trajectory of Chris's life. Well, that's fantastic. This is a very positive note to end on. Yes. That those two guys were able to make such a positive impact on each other. Yeah. That's and, awesome. you know, Chris's life ends too early. Yeah. Too, his life is too short. But he has a life that he would not have been able to have if it hadn't been for his friendship with Gordy. And you take a look at the lyrics from Stand By Me, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Whenever you're in trouble, just stand by me, right? It's good stuff. Man. Perfect. Really? Perfect. 10 out of 10 for me. 10 out of 10. So it almost seems stupid to do the food thing that we always do, but it's our tradition. It is. So what would you pick for your food? I would think about a big diner cheeseburger. Um, when they brought the meat, you know, I, I just saw that clump of meat on a stick and I started to think about some of the really fat burgers I've had in my <laughs> lifetime. Now, I don't think they were cooked over a campfire, but I just thought about this huge burger. Yeah. Because so many times in my life when I've gone out with friends, it always, you know, turned into something where you would be going out to eat. And where were the places that you would go out to eat? It would be, you know, kind of like a diner thing. It reminded me of a friendlies growing up or ground round these old you know kind of local regional restaurants yeah. and you know just sitting down with your friends and having that fun so it, it, it's it's that comfort of of the burger you know and of the of the the friendship and i'm actually going to go for another food as well it also made me think about these big chocolate chip cookies that my mother would make me when i was a kid and I would come home after school sometimes, and as a treat, it would basically be like she took four chocolate chip cookies and put them together and just made this one huge one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? It was it was very cool. And she's like, here you go. And it was, oh, it was so good, and it <laughs> was so warm. Treat. Yeah, it, it's like a great memory, and I always remember... Like coming in after playing in the snow when you're cold and you, you take a shower and you warm up. You know, you get out all those wet clothes and you take the shower and you put on like your pajamas and you feel warm and happy. And then there is this massive cookie to greet you. <laughs> yeah. So those, I, I that's a twofer, but both are very comforting and uh, both remind me of when I was younger and uh, that that sense of, of friendship. That's great. Yeah, I was actually also going to go with a cookout hamburger. Nice. A hamburger just that tastes different because it's been cooked over, you know, a flame. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's on a grill or over a campfire. Um, just on some white bread. And I also had to say that one of the parts of the movie that made me think John is Vern... <laughs> was the campfire part where they're cooking these meatball hamburgers on a stick mm -hmm. and Vern's falls right off into the fire. And I was like, yep, John's would have definitely fallen off the stick. It would have. And then I'd be like, guys, you have another one? <laughs> Could you guys maybe help me out? 
And then, you know, I like it that he gets back into the fire and he gets his burger back and he's a very happy man. Yeah, that was so <laughs> John-esque that it just made me smile. Um, so, yeah, that would be my pick as well. Because it just, yeah, it just, it makes you think you're never really cooking out a hamburger by yourself. It's always a group activity. Yeah. Um, usually on a camping trip or a cookout with friends or something in the park. And so there's like, it's a food that comes with people. And that's, you know, what this movie reminds me of. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So that was our Stand By Me episode. And that was the end of our Rob Reiner Run Meathead Marathon. Mm-hmm uh series uh of rob reiner movies it was great it was fantastic i've loved all these movies they were all so different yeah but they all had this great rob reiner stamp mm -hmm. of good humor and somehow still talking about feelings and and being very real and and very human and i really loved that it was like a happy bowl of chicken soup yeah yeah and that was my princess bride food so Oh, it was? Yeah, chicken soup. Oh, my God. I'm getting <laughs> old, guys. No, no. Can't remember anything. Maybe I just told all the same stories. No. Well, uh, maybe we did. Who knows? <laughs> we're going to find out. But, um, Next yeah. week, we don't even know what we're going to do. No. Nope. So, we're not telling you. Yeah, it's a hush-hush game. It's a secret. It is. And we're pretty excited because anything could happen. Yeah, we yeah. just don't know. We just have so many options and so many choices we're just not quite sure which direction we're going to take no. so um stay tuned the suspense must be killing you i know mm -hmm. um but soon enough we'll all know yeah um and yeah but no matter what it's going to be it's going to be fun yeah and it's going to be a good movie that we love to talk about so as always jump on our socials and follow us if you don't already um run out and tell a friend that you know a good podcast about movies and it's called comfort films podcast um and hit us up if you have any thoughts or suggestions and we would be happy to hear them we always love to talk all right everyone as always stay comfy stay comfy